Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. This is part two of our Drafting the Best Villains of All Time series. If you happen to miss part one, don't worry, we only got through five picks, and those picks were as follows. The number one overall pick was Darth Vader, followed by Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men, followed by the Joker at number three, then Count Dracula, and then the fifth pick was Alonzo Harris from Training Day. If you want to hear our analysis and breakdown about why we think these are the best villains of all time, go back and listen to part one. Otherwise, keep listening for part two. We greatly appreciate you guys listening. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe, give us a follow, but more importantly, tell your friends because we want to get the word out. And without further ado, here is part two. I guess it's my pick. And I will just say that I, Sam, I was not well prepared. I thought we were just doing best villains of cinema. So I'm rolling with best villains of cinema. That's fine. As I did my research, there's a lot of the great villains that have been done in novels have been done in cinema. There's very few purely novel villains that have not been done in cinema, right? Because right? Right. they make for good stories. So you're not, you're not like, I don't think you're missing Man, much, I would uh, actually feel like a number two pick for me should definitely be Mortiari, but I don't know enough about Sherlock Holmes or the character to pick him. I just know he's super iconic. Well, so you're, we're just all lucky yeah. this is all fictional villains, or like my mother-in-law would have been like number one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeet. Shit. Yeet. So I take it that your, that your wife does not listen to this She's podcast. She's not an avid listener. Got it. No, no, no. <laughs> we're good. This okay. is buried. Alright, so my number two pick overall. God damn. Man, I'm gonna go with... I'm going to go with Norman Bates from the movie Psycho. Awesome yeah. pick. Hey, if you are call yourself a movie critic, you need to see Alfred Hitchcock's movie from 1960, Psycho. It is up there with Citizen Kane or The Godfather or Birdemic. Like, you got to see this movie. And, <laughs> Birdemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, hoping you got, I was hoping you got that. So here's the one thing. I don't know if Norman Bates is purely evil. Like, he's not as evil as Alonzo Harris or Darth Vader. Yeah, he's definitely he just, may just be. He may just be mentally, mentally ill. Ill. But yeah, he is creepy as super, shit, dude. I mean, he yeah, is very God. much in a different way, at least with the No Country for Old Men guy. Like, when you see that guy, he's real quiet, too, and unassuming. But when you see him, like, you would know. You're like, oh, dude. I yeah, you're just, like, no, nah, thanks. I'm good. Norman Bates, yeah. dude, is the original, like, just could blend into any crowd, you know, yep. creepy serial killer type dude. And like a bunch just of these— a guy. Like a bunch of people I'm sure that'll pop up on this list, apparently he's loosely based off Ed Gein. Which, yep. shouts out to Ed Gein for being, like, the Tom Brady of serial killers. Because, like, dude, the Texas Chainsaw Mad, there's, there's like, 13 movies that are based Zodiac, Killer. Like, everyone bases their career. Serial killers grade themselves against this dude. The second everyone heard this dude was making lampshades out of chicks' faces, they were like, game's done changed, boys. Like, right. <laughs> no more just right. burying them in the backyard. That, ain't gonna, that isn't going to cut it anymore. So we're introduced to Norman Bates after the leading lady, whose name is Marion Crane, steals some money and she has to go to this hotel that's in the middle of nowhere called the Bates Motel. And Norman Bates, who's like an unassuming young guy, checks her in. He invites her to dinner and she hears later that night Norman arguing with his mother. And, he, and his mother tells him that it's really not appropriate to go to dinner with a strange woman because you know what happens when a man gets together with a strange woman. So Norman comes in and apologizes to the girl, but then he ends up killing her ass. Dude, he, it's the famous Ugh. scene where he stabs her in the shower. <laughs> yes. Oh, dude. Talk about an iconic moment in cinema, and he buries her The best the use swamp. of chocolate syrup in cinema history. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure this aired in black and white, right? Yeah, that's that. It was it's like the blood is chocolate syrup because they were in black and white, and so they were just like, oh, this, this'll do it. Like, 
bold claim here. Is that the most and I could be forgetting something, but is that the most iconic death in cinema history? Ooh. Ooh. It's up there, man. And that's a top five if it's not number one. Yeah. I mean I got I think that's that's more I think it is definitely definitely like I, I was gonna say the only but it's not a death. I was thinking of the here's Johnny moment, but that's not an actual death. He's just like trying to kill her right. with an axe. You kind of know yeah, it's. Johnny. I think, but his eventual death is pretty iconic. Yeah, yeah, but but not, not as, as iconic, iconic as psychos. As yeah, could be. Yeah, I mean, here's the deal. You know about that scene as a child before you even know about the movie Psycho. Like, I you everyone kind of knew about that scene before you know anything about Alfred Hitchcock or this movie. You saw clips of it. It was always replayed. That could very well be the most Ooh. iconic death scene. I'm going to give it number two behind the scene in The Rock where Nicolas Cage tells the guy, you're him. You're the rocket <laughs> man. And then yeah. blasts him through the window with a rocket. God, dude, we have to review so, The Rock on one of these. Side note, I watched that new Nicolas Cage movie where he plays himself today. Uh-oh. Have you seen the trailer for that? Is it good? I, it looks like it could be it's entertaining. Good. It's it good? so good. It's so, really? he's like very it's he's super self-aware the whole time. It's hilarious. It's well worth watching. He and it has like a thousand drop-ins about like the rock and face off and like it's great. It's right. it's awesome. So hell yeah. Con Air. Oh, it, op- it opens with a shot from Con Air. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to love this movie. I can't wait to see it. Is it, it, it where did you find it on? I mean, other than yeah, I watch everything. Oh, the Russians give me access to everything. On on the service, yeah. on the service. Dude, yeah. uh, back cool. to Norman Bates. Anyways, I'll just I'll yeah. give the quick rundown. As Marion Crane gets stabbed to death in the shower and possibly the most iconic cinema death in the history of film. After that, she has people start looking for her. An investigator comes by. He gets stabbed to death and thrown down the stairs. And then eventually her lover and her sister come looking for him, uh, or for her. And w- what the reveal ends up being at the end of the movie is that Norman Bates's mom has been dead for years. In fact, what had happened is he had this really controlling mother who was always on his ass. Dad left, I guess, when they were young. Um, I forget if he left or died, but she had a lover that he got jealous of. And he ended up murdering both his mom and... And the lover and kind of absorbed her personality, like truly mentally ill, truly a freak of nature. As you rewatch this movie, you start to catch glimpses of it, the way that he uh, the way that he pities himself and stuff. You can tell that something's a little off. But at the end of the day, it's just that idea that like this guy, Norman Bates, could be, you know, your server, the guy next to you in the crowd, the person who checks you into the hotel and is secretly watching you. I mean, a truly creepy character and an iconic villain. I mean, there's been multiple movies, TV shows, and books written about Norman Bates since Alfred Hitchcock, you know, did Psycho. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I got to I got to roll with my man I, Norman. I, you brought up a good point about just being like an everyday man that is that is like hidden in the crowd that is also a villain, which I feel like was not that big of a trope back no, then. And no. villains were villains, and that also just truly thing. being a psychopath. Right. Like, I feel like true psychopaths also were not that big of a Well, people back. wanted to believe that, like, evil was, like, visible from 100 yards away and was really the responsibility of, like, moral failing. Someone doing evil things was a result of them, like, not eating their vegetables and going to church and doing all the things you're supposed to do. The realization that, like, lurking in our society are people that could just snap or are have already snapped and are still operating totally underneath the waves and are totally mentally fucked up. Like that is truly terrifying. It's not something society wanted to wrestle with very much until probably the latter half of the 20th century. 
I think when this movie drops in 1960, you're coming out of the 1950s with a lot of cowboy movies. It's always John Wayne versus the guy in the black hat. The villains are very well defined. And all of a sudden, you introduce this really complex character who is honestly the uh, product of just really messed up circumstance. And is, you know, it's it's like Andy said, he's not inherently evil. But he's capable of killing your ass, and that's the creepy thing about Psycho, and that's what makes Norman Bates an all-time great villain. So that's my number two pick. That's an awesome pick. Rolling on, yeah, that is that is a great, great pick. That is, yeah, to me, that is like we knew that that was going to be a first-round draft pick. We just didn't know where it was going to fall. That that's yeah, iconic as hell, super villainous, super deranged. So you you it's next background you yep. web so uh, seventh overall so pick. seventh Let's overall pick I'm gonna go the apple does not fall too far from the tree on my next pick again I'm sticking with the world of cinema I'm not doing Psycho I'm doing Patrick Bateman from American Psycho very, nice. very nice hey that hey that's a novel villain yeah, yeah he's I, a novel it is villain. you know what you're right um, Brett Easton Ellis is that his name I forget yeah. the author of that. I've never read that book, but I've heard that it's very disturbing and that it goes into <sighs> the multiple book is page rough. details. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, I've heard it's it is crazy. like, it's a jarring reading experience because it is like 10 times as graphic and descriptive about the kill. And then like in the middle of the murder, the page will like, literally there'll be, it'll look like a pen, like go, like just scribbles down the page. Like the pen just like went crazy. And then you'll flip the page. There'll be a blank page. You flip the page again, it'll be like, the recent Huey Lewis in the news are so cool. And it'll be 20 pages on Huey wow. Lewis in the news. And then it'll go right back to that really horrible, like, murdering a girl with a, a clothes hanger. That's it's awesome. It's nuts, dude. I have to stop you right there. How could you, as somebody that has submitted books to agents, to publishers, like, how, how in the world could you get away with that as an, as an dude, author? He already that, had a couple books. That is You've got to be the first guy. As... you got to be the first guy. You know what I mean? Like, that is so It has bold. to be so, like, and, dude, like, Patrick Bateman is so fascinating to me because on one hand he is a total mockery of the like corporate yuppie 80s hyper materialistic he his entire personality is based around like what he buys and what he wears and what fucking facial cleanser he uses and shit and yet tons of like wolf of wall street bros that you and i have all of us have known are like obsessed with patrick bateman think that he's like cool he is up in that list of characters where it's like if you're obsessed with this character you clearly didn't understand the movie and he's one of them for some reason he's very strange i guess just because he's like rich and powerful and like has hot girlfriends people are like yeah it's fucked up but like he's kind of tight bro this dude listens to the texas chainsaw massacre shout outs ed gein while he works out i mean he's truly furiously doing sit-ups while he's watching violent pornography like woof the scene where he goes to the bathroom and the, his buddy tries to hit on him, like, like, <laughs> yeah. he's like, oh, I, like he thinks he's gay, and you just see him w- furiously washing his hands in the sink, and he's wearing gloves, like he has gloves on, but he's washing right. his hands in the sink, just like really angrily, and he's like, "What's wrong, Patrick?" And he's like, "I've got to go return some videotapes," and just fucking dips out. You're like, "What the fuck?" Well, and I think kind of one of the, when we were laying out the criteria for what makes a good villain earlier, like obviously Patrick Bateman is a true psychopath. He's evil, but also like his whole identity speaks to the theme of the movie because he is a psychopath who drowns himself or or comes up with this 
identity that's just kind of like fits into the world he lives in, which is truly materialistic. And that's why he gets away with like half the shit that he does. So his whole personality yeah. is just based on material things, his apartment, his Getting clothes, his music. Getting a res at Dor- Dorcia. His biz- yeah. yeah, dude, he like fucking loses it. He, is, he, he says he's almost brought to tears when they can't get like a res at a certain place. <laughs> when he finds out he can get seated, he says, relief washed over me in an awesome wave. <laughs> Like, right, dear no, dude. It, they're all, or they all pretend to care about shit. They have that whole discussion about like the orphans in Sri Lanka. They all pretend to give a fuck. There's and more then, important I think things my, than Sri Lanka. Yeah, no, and then, dude. The, at the end scene, they they none of them recognize each other. Like all of them barely even know what each other looks like because they all look identical, and right. none of them are really friends. And so at the end, he's like, "Hey, I called you last night. That was me. I've been killing all these people." And he's like. No, you didn't. He's like, yes, yes, I did. And he goes, that's not possible. It's why not, you stupid bastard. <laughs> like, he's so mad. Well, yeah, he, he says he best. killed Paul Allen. Like, he didn't even realize if he yeah. killed, actually killed Paul Allen like he wanted to because they're all so mixed up. They're so trapped in their own world, you know. Dude, the, um, the iconic business card scene is probably one of my favorite scenes in movie history. Just like, they all have a fucking shitty white business card with black typing that says their name, vice president, and their company. And they're all like, check this out. It's called Eggshell with Cerulean Braille. And they're just like, a oh. His hand is shaking while he's holding yeah. it. I remember I watched a, a behind-the-scenes of the director talking about casting that role. And a whole bunch of big names tried out for that that role. And Christian Bale got it for two reasons. One, he was also going for, I can't remember what the role was that Leo got, but he was like right there with Leo for a role, and Leo got the role, so he did American Psycho. And two, the director said that everyone that tried out for the role played Patrick Bateman like he was really fucking cool. Like he was like this very cool, suave, like vice president who was tricking everyone, blah, blah, blah. And only Bale really understood that's like this character's pathetic. Like the dude is a hollow shell of a loser who like has figured out how to mimic what people want to hear, and that's why he's doing all this. But like, he's actually like really broken and cannot be counted on to like actually have any substance. And he plays it so well. It's one of Christian Bale's best roles, in my opinion. Is the book called American Psycho as well? Yeah. I wanted. I want to say, and I didn't realize this till I started forming the list, that the name Patrick Bateman in the book being called American Psycho has to kind of be like sort of paying homage to Psycho and Norman Bates. It like the names is. are similar, it, yeah, right? Yeah, it definitely is. So, yeah, and uh, then they made a horrible sequel to American Psycho. Oh, I know. Where, I know, where dude. They shot the entire movie, and then the people that were in the movie, including Mila Kunis, found out when they saw the trailer. That it was an American Psycho sequel. God, that's so bad. Damn. Because it was all just voiceover work. That's it was awful. all just like, the whole movie is just a slasher movie. And then there's some voiceover at the beginning that was like, my name's so-and-so. When I was a kid, my mom got killed by a guy named Patrick Bateman. <laughs> like, it's so right. bad, dude. One of the interesting things about American Psycho is that I feel like people watch it and they rewatch it and they rewatch it again to kind of figure out what's going on in the movie. Like... How much of this What's, is a dream? What's the theme yeah. of this movie? And like when, when you he go puts back, the cat into the ATM, you're like, okay, right, clearly right. this isn't happening. Yeah, right. Or like a shootout with the cops. But some of that stuff is it's very clear that he probably did do. Right. But when you go back and rewatch the movie, I think he, if you want to encapsulate what's going on here, I think it's best said in Patrick Bateman's opening monologue, which I'm going to read if y'all are cool with that. Do At it. the beginning of the movie, as he's showering, going through his morning routine, he reads this monologue that says. 
I live in the American Gardens building on the 81st Street on the 11th floor. My name is Patrick Bateman. I'm 27 years old. I believe in taking care of myself in a balanced diet and a rigorous exercise routine. In the morning, if my face is a little puffy, I put on an ice pack while doing my stomach crunches. I can do a thousand now. After I remove the ice pack, I use a deep pore cleansing lotion. In the shower, I use water-activated gel cleanser, then a honey almond body scrub, and on the face, an exfoliating gel scrub. Then I apply an herb mint facial mask, which I leave on for 10 minutes while I prepare the rest of my routine. I always use aftershave lotion with little or no alcohol because alcohol dries your face out and makes you look older. Then moisturizer, then anti-aging eye balm, followed by a final moisturizing protective lotion. There is an idea of Patrick Bateman, some kind of abstraction, but there is no real me, only an entity, something illusory. And though I feel I can hide my cold gaze and you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours, and maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable, I'm simply not there. Dude, that is creepy as shit. <laughs> That's like... He's yeah. just... He's Norman Bates in that sense. Like, he could, he could be the guy next to you. The last page of the novel is basically the same as the movie where he's, like, trying to confess. No one believes him. So he just decides to say, fuck it, and keep going. So he sits down with his buddies, you know, his shitty friends, and they have a drink. And the, the camera does this in the movie, but it's, it pans up, and you just see a sign above the door that says, this is not an exit. And so that's... Brent Easton Ellis basically being like, yeah, there's no ending here. Like, there's no... Right. You don't get to see him get caught. You don't get to see him pay for what he did. You don't get to find out if it was real. Like, none yeah. of it. There is no exit here. It's just the end of the book. And you're, you you read this whole thing. And you, now you have to live with it. It's an incredible character. And I think every passing year, as we delve more into, like, the social media world of, like, hyper-consumerism, where, like, what you buy is who you are type of lifestyle for a lot of people, like... Patrick Bateman becomes more and more interesting as a character study and like a certain kind of American. And it's very fascinating. Other than obviously the murder aspect, there are people that are very much like Patrick Bateman, men and women who don't really realize it. That is just this facade walking around and it is kind of a tale of people putting on a mask and going, Oh yeah, dude, pretending to to be somebody. If Patrick Bateman would just like add in some shit about how, you know, his passions were about like spreading positivity. He'd just be an influencer. Like that's, you know, he does a shitload of ab workouts and a skincare routine. Like he's, he's a couple yeah. hashtags away from being like a fire fitness influencer. Like on the flip side of that, the fact that he's not immediately caught as a killer is the fact that he is all of those for sure. things. Right. Definitely. If he was a overweight guy who lives in a trailer park, that's kind of like gross and unassuming and, kind of creepy you would be like oh that guy's a serial killer and that's kind of to me that is the great kind of thing that this points out is how much appearances matter right so there is a lot of ideology y'all know he went to harvard right he didn't go to yale yeah. he wasn't part <laughs> of that whole yale, yale thing. he wasn't part of that <laughs> yale thing <laughs> what yale thing his, ter- his term for homosexuality is that <laughs> yale thing which is dude well, his first kill is he he kills that homeless guy and dude that scene is so funny to him it's so fucked up. He's like, you're disgusting. You know, He's like, clean you know, yourself you, up, you know, bud. You, you know, you smell terrible. Yeah. You're, you're dude, a he fucking kicks loser. his dog to death. Yeah. Yeah, dude. He stomps his dog to death. Oh my God. Dude. Yeah. Great. Pick, that guy's though. so great. That scene pick. where he oh opens the fridge and there's just a head in it. Oh, like, yeah. 
Dude. Fuck, dude. I feel like the kind of barometer figuring out if, if, if it was a good pick on the villains draft is if the end of the pick we're all just like shaking our head being like, God, yeah, that guy's so <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> so. definitely, definitely. All right, that's me. Uh, Andy, what's your, what's your pick? Is it me? Yeah, it's you. Okay. I, too, am picking from a, a film. I am selecting John Doe from the movie Seven, played by Ooh, Kevin Spacey. That's Ooh. a good one. And I think that he is like yeah, a is perfect good. embodiment of the banality of evil. That like evil in the real world is rarely done by like colorful characters. It's done by like incredibly methodical, boring, Deranged. normal human beings. Yeah. yeah. And this dude is the craziest and most self-assured. And when you talked about like an incredible ideology for one of these villains, like this dude's apartment where it's just like wall to wall, like very tiny handwriting journals about the sins of all the people that he witnesses. And then his, he sleeps in this very tiny, like twin size bed underneath a neon cross every night. You're just like, okay. And obviously, you know, he's the killer who is conducting these like brutal serial killings based on the seven deadly sins. And, he ends up killing Brad Pitt's wife and putting her head in a box. And, oh man, like, I don't, I can't think, I can think of a few other moments in a film where knowing that what the character is doing is wrong is so universally approved of by the audience. Like, if you've ever watched Seven with a group of dudes, when Brad Pitt decides to just say, fuck it, like, I don't even care if he wins, I'm smoking this guy for what he did to my wife, everyone's just like, Fuck yeah, dude. Right. Fuck that right. guy. Like, because it's just such righteous anger. But Spacey's a perfect actor for this. Uh, man, when when uh when it, when all the bad stuff came out about Spacey, we we lost access to like a, a billion great performances. But I know, dude. This is one of his He's best. So this is one of his best. Yep, He's incredible yep. in this. And you don't even see him until the very end of this movie. He's only in this movie for like ten or fifteen minutes of like a two-hour runtime. They don't even um, catch him. He turns himself in. He shows up at the police station drenched in blood. And you don't know God, until the very dude. end that it's Brad Pitt's wife's blood and the famous what's in the box? What's in the box scene is just oh, iconic. What's so, the worst killing he does in that movie? It is. What's in the box? He gives a severed head of a guy's will, wife First of all, it's Gwyneth husband. Paltrow. That you is. note that. It's not just any that's, head. That's, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. It's, that's head. definitely like the most fucked Shouts up out. action. Shouts out. But. That's but we up. don't we yeah. don't actually know how brutal the actual killing of the wife was compared to the uh, some of the it, other it wasn't it wasn't no nice. I know that but I'll but you, you that. saw the other ones dude some of those were like that dude that they thought was dead and he's been alive for like you know a year in bed just uh. like hooked up to all those IVs and shit or like the dude that he made eat himself to death like uh, being force fed until he died guy yeah the gluttonous oh, guy like yeah. fuck dude like some of them are super brutal like super super brutal so but yeah i i think it was a perfect decision to build this character who is like one completely self-righteous like he takes the only thing that gets him mad in the entire film he's totally calm except brad pitts calls his victims innocent and that really upsets him he's like they're not fucking innocent like you know the bible is very clear about this the fact that he is so normal that he would blend into a crowd going back to what you said about norman bates Again, I, I go back to that same, the same term, the banality of evil. I just finished reading this book, and I think I, I talked to you guys a little bit about it in the group chat called Ordinary Men, and it was the story of this group of like 40 or 50-year-old guys who were volunteer police officers 
in Germany during the Holocaust and they got dispatched to Poland. These dudes were like 50 years old. All of them were members of their local church, family men, universally known as like good dudes. Actually, most of them were like pretty against the Nazis when they came to power. But then under orders, they rounded up all their Jewish neighbors, all the Jews in this village, took them out into the woods and executed all of them, buried them in a mass grave. Mm. And it just shows... It's an examination of on a very microscopic level because we tend to view evil in very macro terms like Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot. An examination of how evil is done, on, right. how do ordinary people come to do evil things is a much it's a it's a much harder reckoning for people because you just can assure yourself you'd never be Hitler. For sure. For sure. Um, and so this kind of character where it's like. It seems like you could wrap your head around how this person could exist. I think is like way more terrifying than like a supernatural type villain. You know what I mean? So I think Spacey and just this movie in general just did an incredible job. I mean, I love that pick. I'm kind of surprised that John Doe goes before Spacey's other great villain role, Kaiser Sose. But yeah, I, 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 I love the pick. I really decided. Yeah, I, but I really tried to decide between Kaiser Sose and Alonzo, and I went with Alonzo, so I wasn't going to pick both of those movies. Yeah, and my big critique about Kaiser Sose is like you're not fully aware of his cruelty until the very end. I feel like in terms of like who it was, and to me that I, from like a villain standpoint, I kind of take a lot of that away. I love Usual Suspects. I picked that as one of our best screenplays of the '90s. You should listen to that episode if you haven't. But I, I just don't feel that he is like again. We're picking. 15-ish villains, most iconic villains of all time, I wouldn't put Soze in that category. Right, right. Uh, however, I would put John Doe in that category. I think I w- he, I'll tell you this, I'd rather villainous. get caught by Kaiser Soze than John Doe. The way John Fucking Doe disposes right, of people. For yeah. sure. Fucking A For right, dude. Damn sure. Good choice, Andy. Well, who's up next? Which, who's which up next? leads me to my pick. My it pick. Is. I got two in a row. and Okay, so I'm going to go with a villain. I've actually got two in a row that are not are not the John Doe territory, but they are just the truest, like, embodiments of evil in, like, an everyday life perspective. So I'm going to give you a villain that is iconic, that has a cool character design, that is powerful, and has a just, like, warped ideology. This is a character from literature that has been popular from the popular film in... Obama's America 2016. <laughs> it is President Barack Obama. <laughs> Whoa, dude, I was going to... You got it? All right. Go for it. I was, I was actually going to go with Michael Moore in all of his films. <laughs> no. uh, I'm going to say... So, this is a character that was popularized in cartoons. Ooh, interesting. Not. Disney cartoons. Disney cartoons. Disney villains. Wait, whoa, whoa. Is it Scar? That's a good choice. That's a Scar is pretty There's a lot evil, of good dude. Disney villains, but this is... That wouldn't be a bad choice, but to me, this is like the most iconic... Is it Jafar? Truly just deranged... No, it represents a one aspect of a deadly sin, and I'm just—is like, it Hopper, the leader of the Grasshoppers in a Bug's Life? <laughs> hey, that movie had some stellar ride. They, they did. They were some, killing it, dude. But, I mean, yeah, that that one worm who is just fat and like <laughs> Bulgarian, which it seems to be a thing. Hey, can we do a Bug's Life on a a new episode soon? That'd be fun, dude. That would be fun. Dude, like, I feel like Bugs Life is kind of deep. That should not have been a kid's if you, movie. I was going to say, if you if you want to hear me get real political, we can watch a Bugs Life, and I can tell no, you how it's like bug, a, work, we a worker's do it, rights treaty, dude. 
Dog, the one Henry pod Ford. racer that stalled at the, at the at the starting line it was like it was basically <laughs> that guy. It was like, Whoa! like why is it that the fat guy had to stall at the starting line? It's, it's like so <laughs> obvious, but uh, yeah. And then and then there was ants that was like the copy of Bug Life that looked like uh, with, uh, with Woody and, Allen, uh, dude. Like they had a Woody Allen Diaz, up in that bitch, in dude. That? Yeah, dude. Who, Man. Who's the guy from uh, Pinky Blinders? Killian Murphy. Every yeah. character looks like Killian Murphy. Yeah, they do look like Killian Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you guys didn't guess my my persons. It's no, a female. I don't know. It's a female. Oh, it's, so it's got to be a witch. A Cruella Deville. Cruella oh, Deville. Very nice. Right. Very nice. Right. Can we talk about how messed up Cruella Deville is for a second? Okay, but can we first talk about how like lethal her drip is? First of all, she drives like a yeah. seven hundred foot Rolls Royce, like, right? Her 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 whip is ridiculous. You could never park that thing anywhere. It's like three times longer than a stretch limousine. Second of all, she's just openly walking around being like, "Yo, I only wear threads made from murdered puppies." <laughs> like the most just like <laughs> yes. horrible human dude. Like, yep, yep. For as much as like Twitter wants to get up in arms about what Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or any billionaire does, like Corolla Deville is the most messed up person as far as like, <laughs> I like how semi-wealthy like, people go. I like how Sam's like, people want to get on real billionaires. Let's talk about this fictional one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. We should be up in arms about this fictional billionaire. Uh, Corella DeVille. The, the brilliant thing about Corella DeVille is that she's, she's like pseudo wealthy. She comes from old money, but her money is declining and she's kind of older. She's just kind of like scratching and clawing and keeping her way what do you want to call it? Like she wants to stay relevant, right? She kind of represents to me like what greed is. Greed definitely. Envy. She is a heiress who represents a declining like fashion company, and then when she sees these Dalmatians, like wanting to skin them alive and keep them as fur coats, is like I think to me she represents the she represents the pinnacle of of all of the traits of a villain that I that I put forward is. She is iconic. Obviously, she's iconic, right? She's been represented in, in best-selling novels. She's been represented in the obviously the iconic like 1960s Disney films, as well as the the films that came out later. And I want to say who played in those films. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, was it uh, Helen Emma, uh, Emma Stone played her in the the latest Glenn, Glenn Close. Yeah, Glenn Close played her in the in the late '90s, early 2000s films. There was a few of them, and then obviously Emma Stone. By the way, that Emma Stone did they win best costume? I think we talked about that in our our Oscars recap. Let me um, let me look real quick. Accolades. That was a that was actually a they pretty did good win movie. for best costume design, and they got nominated for best makeup and hair. Oh yeah, I loved it. I thought it was such a cool, interesting, different depiction of the whole story. I thought it was really cool. They made her like hate of Dalmatians make sense, which is hard to do. Like yeah. in the Disney movie, it's very much like nonsensical that she would want this like low quality fur for her clothing. But yeah, I dig it. Yeah. Love Corella DeVille for a few reasons. First of all, the character design is off the charts. Her name is comes from like cruel and devil. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, and, and it's kind of heavy handed, but the fact that it, it just works so well because it kind of sounds like a, like posh French name or whatever, being a fashion mogul that is obsessed with fur is like an obvious connection, but then it's it's another step further to be like, no, I I want the fur of puppies. 
right? Yeah. Of like harmless puppies. It just takes it up another another level. And then, yeah, and, and just everything that goes with Cruella de Vil, again, with the character design, just goes in with like these black and white limousines and the fashionista element of just her being like a socialite that's from like a declining era and the fact that she's down to defer puppies. That that to me is is what sold it for me. Other than killing humans, how much crueler can you get than than taking wanting to take 101 Dalmatians and whatever you call it, deferring them? I, I agree That's with fun. you, and I think she's probably among the most iconic female villains, which I think is the, I mean yes. we you know to, for some representation on the list here, I think that's really sure, important. Sure. So rad, dude, very very good selection. Well, any pushbacks on Corella Deville? No, I love it, and I also do love the uh, Emma Stone portrayal, like that remake that they made. I think I've read mixed reviews about it. Man, I watched that on the plane. I I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it was super fun. The costumes were super incredible, and right. they re cool. they kind of re uh, I don't know what you call it when you reset a movie in a different period, but they did it in like seventies London, like punk mall. Yeah, that was London, really cool. Which was a great decision that made it super mm-hmm. awesome. It also, I think, Cruella has inspired a ton of other great characters the 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 titular devil who wears prada is definitely yeah. a cruella deville like kind of a mix of both uh anna winter and some cruella deville elements and i thought she's amazing obviously with um oh i can't believe i'm who's who's the actress the lady that's won like every oscar ever it's meryl streep Meryl Streep, Meryl Streep. Thank you. and Anne Hathaway. She, she yeah. crushes that movie, dude. Yeah, she that's a great movie. She crushes that movie. And you're, and you're totally right. Like, Devil Wears Prada doesn't exist without Cruella DeVille. Low key, hot take Devil Wears Prada, best chick flick in the world. Would, would watch that Man. movie right now. Yeah, that is, a, that is a really good one. I'm trying to think if there's one that I prefer over that. I'll tell you this I don't. That probably is. Uh, Bridesmaids is pretty funny. Bridesmaids is really funny. Yeah, that's a it good is. one. I mean, it's, it's a different a funny direction. Comedy, but yes. Right. And and they don't, you know, Devil Wears Prada does come with downsides. You got to listen to a lot of you too if you're going to watch that movie. And sometimes <laughs> you don't need that in your life. <laughs> like, right? Oh man. Well, hey, solid pick, Sam. I think it's still you though. You get your uh, fourth pick here. Back I'm going to send that. you guys something on the chat while while we're talking because I think while this is live? very important for my pick. Very important for my pick. This is a little bit of homework. So you guys pull up our chat as I as I send you this pick because. There's some background here, I feel like, uh, okay. based on our recent conversations. Oh, no. <laughs> Who is that? I'm so sorry, dude. I'm so sorry, dude. She's dude. awesome. That's a, great, that's a great selection. I feel like I should change this one, because, dude, when I was thinking about... Is she a villain? Like, she's oh, definitely yeah, an antagon- she's a villain. She's an antagonist, she but she's, ass, she, uh, she, she kind of turns a corner in that movie. You guys made me change my pick. I'm not going to pick... Miranda Presley anymore but god can we talk about Miranda Presley for a second she is both in the novel because I I guess I'll open up the hood I haven't finished the novel but I've read about half of it and dude in the film she is actually more docile than she is in the novel I love how they build her up as being the worst boss in the world and then for basically the entire story she is the worst boss in the world and Miranda Presley occupies a special space of being the most like semi-realistic really just like mean boss that has like unbelievably high expectations in you know not only novels but in cinema and then obviously Meryl Streep knocks out of the park and so I guess that's where it it holds a special spot in my heart as being a like a villain that is just a really mean boss right as opposed to being like 
oh yeah, this guy's trying to like serial kill people or this person's trying to take over the world. No, this is just a really mean boss. And I think Miranda Presley is probably the worst boss in fiction that anybody's ever written. And so I don't, I'm not going to pick her because you guys have uh, taken that away, but uh, I'm going to pick somebody else. But any any passing Miranda Presley thoughts? I mean, I, I do like Devil Wears Prada, but I didn't remember that was the character name. So while you guys were debating that, I was Googling like, who the hell is this lady? I'm going to push back a little bit on the on that concept, Sam, only because I don't I'm not going to pretend it would be fun to, to work for her at all. She would be a nightmare. But I do think that there are like 10 billion dudes that are that bad to work for that are not, you know, held aloft as some horrific human to work for. I think that especially in the business world, people that behave like that are often like the people that are in charge and get shit done. And women pay a special price for having that personality type. Also, I think that in the movie, we do get to see a little bit of like the toll that's taken on her. Like it's cost to her personal life. Like she has truly given it all to be this like, you know, top of the heap of fashion. And we see weaknesses and her chinks in her armor from it. So yeah, I agree with you. I just, I guess I view her more, like when we talked about at the very beginning, like more of an antagonist than a true villain. Like, I don't think that she's like, I don't think she's motivated by evil. I think she's motivated by naked aggression and like wanting to, you know, be on the top of this particular mountain. And she's definitely gotten there. And I think that there are, there are worse bosses to work for ones that are doing actually, you know, actual like illegal shit or like morally like asking you to do things that like break your own code of ethics those kind of things i think would i would sit yeah but that's kind of one of the fun things about this is movies like this or training day um or american psycho at this point you know they're getting close to 20 years old like they're starting to be classic movies and these are iconic characters so that is really what she's awful dude she i cannot i cannot stress how how horrible she is in the movie and then also andy you pointed out how like they show kinks in the armor in the movie in the novel that doesn't exist in the novel she is a bad person the entire time so they they, which they definitely tried to like worse. humanize her a little bit for yeah for the purposes of the film um, got it what's up next sam i think it's sam i think he, i don't think that's technically his pick so he's gonna okay, try to well. hit us with something okay okay so i've got uh i've got a few picks and so obviously i didn't pick miranda presley I've got another pick that I kind of want to throw out there, but I almost I don't even know if this is a villain because it's kind of a force of nature. God, I don't even know if I'm going to pick this because it's it's a force of nature. Um, well, now you you're, you piqued my curiosity. You might as well roll with it. You can't just keep can we just, okay. people that we we can't pick. Yeah, I'm just going to keep stealing them and be like, hey, look how clever I am. <laughs> uh, okay, so this to me is cool character design, surpassable. There's no ideology. It is the shark from Jaws. Oh my gosh. You know what? I do love that choice. I would also tell you that some people might view the shark from Jaws as more of an antagonist and the mayor of Jaws as like the villain. I mean, the shark from Jaws is this. It's iconic. It may be the most iconic villain on this list. I'll put it this way. Dude, the shark from Jaws changed the beach-going experience forever. When I talked to my parents, yeah, bro, people used to go to the beach and swim like out 300 yards. Like they'd swim to the end of the pier. No one thought about sharks ever. When sh- when Jaws came out, people were afraid to get into their bathtub, bro. Like that is the <laughs> ultimate. Bro, uh, my ass wasn't getting in the water for like right. a while. Well, dude, like, and one thing that I, the story that I love about the production of Jaws is the fact that Steven Spielberg really lucked into a great, uh, 
I don't know what you call it. He th- so there's it's famous that the animatronic shark was not working the whole time they were trying to film the movie. Like they were supposed to show this big ass shark in like the first scenes, but they could not get the thing to work in the water. And so what ended up happening is that you go like half of the movie before you finally see the shark and dude by the time you see it the payout is excellent all the leading up scenes where you've got people this this girl dogs children dying and you don't see the shark yet it just builds and builds and builds and uh man i think that's one thing hollywood's lost sight of you go if jaws would have come out today you'd see that motherfucker in the trailer like we would already Bro, I'll see give you the a shark. perfect example i'll give you a perfect example the movie jeepers creepers the beginning yeah. of this movie, when you do not see the guy, is terrifying. You're like, this is pretty crazy. I like this movie. And then, like, 30 minutes in, you see him. And it's not like he's a bad character design or anything. It's just like, now I know. Like, what when there's a hole there for your imagination right. to fill, it's always going to be scarier. And so, Absolutely. in Jaws, when these dudes are out on the water and they're vulnerable and you don't know what's where the shark is or what the shark is or how it's going to react, like... Dude, your mind just fills in the worst possible outcome and it's terrifying to you. But once you, even if you see something terrible, suddenly you can just like wrap your head around it and be like, okay, that's what we're dealing with. And that's way less terrifying. Like, dude, ask any soldier, like they would rather see the whole like 10,000 dudes marching over the hill than just like not know where the enemy is and just be catching fire from random places all night. Like that is a thousand times worse for them. So yeah, Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. It's everything but ideology ideology is really important to me but when we got this far down the list and i started thinking about the most impactful villains i just think about which villains are just this they're such a a hill to climb and are so iconic it is i would be remiss if i didn't put again this villain that changed the way we look at water forever open water will never be the same if if jaws did not come out would we look at the ocean the same way? I don't know. Um, I don't think so. The The cultural impact of Jaws and obviously the way that that was shot and the fear that that instilled into the population is just, I I, I have to include Jaws. It's almost yep. the... It's a great pick. In a way, in a way, it's almost the opposite of Cruella de Vil. Cruella de Vil represents a very finite, like, greed, right? Envy. And this almost, like, cartoonish... Like, I want to skin these dogs and keep their fur, right? Jaws is kind of the opposite. Jaws is a very real thing of, like, the unknown of fear and these animals and, like, what they could do to you when you're out of your element. Um, Well, and all the character development that happens in Jaws, like, all their character arcs, you know, we talked about what makes a good villain, is graded against their conflict with Jaws, with the shark. So it hits two of the check marks. One, like, it, it totally develops the characters. Two... Um, it's an iconic, iconic villain. I mean, arguably just as much as Darth Vader, more than any other villain that I think we've named on the list, you'd have to put Jaws up there. Yeah. Man, and you uh, and they just never it, were able to recapture that. Like, have, yeah, I don't know if you guys yeah. have ever watched, like, Jaws 2, Jaws 3D, or Jaws... Oh, no, I know. Oh, boy. They never figured that out again. They just, like, could not... They really did not understand what was good about Jaws. And so it's all like, oh, the the brother of the shark is after the relatives of the people that were on the boat in the first movie. Like, it's wild. Bro, there's one where the shark chases them, like, up the entire eastern seaboard. Like, they up and move from Florida to Massachusetts or vice versa, and the shark just, like follows them. That's that's Jaws the Revenge, dude. He wanted his revenge, bro. He wanted revenge. 
I feel like this is the sauce gardener of the draft where it's a, it is like a obviously great corner, but you're like, should you take a corner in this like that early? Like, is a corner worth that? But like, no, Jaws is, in my opinion, worth that. Like, Totally worth it. Yeah, it is, it is not a, it is not a character. It's not a like person, but everything else it nails. So you know, there, there's like, there's these movies that are like, okay, they're conquering a mountain or they're conquering like the perfect storm. They're conquering a storm. To me, Jaws is, it almost transcends that in terms of the amount of like cultural impact, fear that it instilled and, and obviously the design and all that. So Jaws, that's my pick. Yep. Very nice. Maybe the first summer blockbuster ever. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Good point. Who's up next, Sam? It's Sam again. Since he it's, didn't, he didn't. No, it's you. Pick. I I picked oh, really? Corella Deville, and then I picked Jaws, and it's okay. back to Andy. Good, very nice. Okay, well, I am going to choose uh, one of my favorite roles from one of my favorite actors, uh, the incomparable rest in peace Alan Rickman, and what oh! I consider to be his finest role. Oh, Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber. Oh, Hans Gruber. Yeah, Hans Gruber. Yes, yes. I love this, Andy. I will count to three. There will not be a fall. This just, yeah. oh, man. just the goat, dude. The goat. He is. Just like the model for all uh, a genre that I am is near and dear to my heart. The uh, international white super terrorist that we got for like all those movies in the yeah. late nineties, early two thousands, where like we had not figured out Islamic extremism as a, as an enemy yet, and the Russians were gone, and so we just had like movies with just like generic. Eastern European terrorists doing it for money, right. which is the best terrorism, right. the best terrorism. And Hans Gruber is just a cold, calculating. He's very refined. He's very like upper crust, which is the exact opposite of John McClane, which is great. Uh, I love Hans Gruber. He has one of the most iconic deaths in an action movie of him falling off the building and like looking back up at the camera as he's yep. like, falling Yippee into the explosion. That is super iconic. Super, super iconic. Um, Dude, I, I love him. And the and the kind of back and forth between him, it is like one of those perfect, kind of like we talked about with Batman and the Joker. Like one, it cannot really exist without the other. And I and while I do think some of the other diehards are okay, John McClane as a character was really only done perfectly when he had this perfect antagonist and villain in Hans Gruber. And everything down to his name, like Hans Gruber is a perfect Eastern German terrorist, dude. Like he's oh, yeah. just like the ultimate name. He's so great. Um, yeah. So Hans, Gruber, what is he dude, motivated amazing. by? Is he motivated by money? Cause that it's terrorist money. group yeah, is supposed to be about like the unification of, uh, Germany, but I think he's motivated by money, which is fine. I yeah. mean, that's awesome for a villain. We should have a villain who's purely motivated by money, right? He's he's trying to drill into the he's trying to drill into the vault in Nakatomi Tower because they got bear bonds in that bitch, dude. Dude, the yeah. way he looks at that vault, he yeah. <laughs> he's he's, ready, he's great yeah. and ruthless, man. And I just Alan the Rickman. scene is where he kills the uh, dude who's in the chair. I forget like yeah. what they're talking about, but I remember as a kid, obviously I saw that movie as a child, and that scene got me shook, bro. Alan yeah. Rickman has like he has some and, and just like his inflection on words is so great for that kind of role because he gets to bring that Alan Rickman to every line, right. which is fucking awesome. So yeah, man, I'm choosing him. He fucking crushes it. Man, Alan Rickman, he this guy has so many iconic either like anti-hero or villain roles. I I yelled at the top of my lungs when you said Alan Rickman that you're. I thought you were gonna pick the sheriff of Nottingham. Because <laughs> that is 
honestly, like I, I almost picked him earlier. Sheriff. That's Donovan another good role. Like Absolutely. One of the most iconic villains from literature before the 1800s. If not the most single iconic character from the from literature from the 1800s, like, right? But Alan Rickman slays it too. Yeah, yeah, dude, and, and he's like the, the he's like the the epitome of greed. Like I I almost picked that instead of Corella Deville. Um, it's just that it wasn't quite as like the character design and all that. But yeah, dude, that and obviously again not really a villain, but like Snape, I'd kind of inch into that category. Sure. Alan Rickman, dude, he he has a stranglehold. Uh, him and Ed Helms, just like if you want a mean person, get get him. Which obviously R R I P. But uh, yeah, dude, great. I choice. love Ed Helms, dude. Ed Helms, man. Yeah. I I I I'll be honest. I almost chose General Hummel from The Rock as one yeah. of my. But I, yeah. you know what? Fuck that, because he's not a villain, dude. He's a fucking patriot, and he was running black ops into China when you were still wet in your diaper. Okay, so not a villain. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, is it my pick now? Yes. You got you got back to back. All right, I got back to back, but let, let me ask y'all something. I'm just going to throw this out there, see how y'all react. I, I possibly, on my next pick, my fourth pick, I want to do a twofer, which is, in other words, two people I consider to be villain from the same movie. I'm going to throw this at y'all and just tell me if you think we can talk about both these or if one of y'all have an issue with it. If Shoot. they're tied at the hip, then I would say yes. Let's, let's hear it. I want to pick Calvin Candy and Steven from Django Unchained. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's fair. I want to pick yeah. Samuel Jackson and Leo in Candyland from Django Unchained. That's Obviously, awesome pick. you've got Leo, who plays this guy named Calvin Candy, who's just like a rich prick, which Leo's great at Monsieur playing. Candy. Yeah, he's obsessed with French culture, which was obviously really big at the time. But yet, the funny thing about Calvin Candy is that he has like a just barely surface level knowledge of kind of like everything, but he didn't, yeah. he didn't really know shit. In fact, he's delegated most of the work for his entire plantation to his house slave, Steven, who's another great character, like an uncle Tom, you know, character who Absolutely. Uh, just, I mean, dude, like you have to, it, it's something that hadn't been explored. I feel like a lot in cinema, which is this, this idea that like, and maybe even just in regards to slavery is like, you would have someone who's got a little bit of power, but they're still, in a horrible position yeah. and they just are going to use that to their total advantage, you know? And like, like Samuel Jackson is a dick to the other slaves. He has no problem oh, yeah. sending them to get tortured or thrown into the hot box or whatever. Um, I told Mr. Candy, well, shit, they going to treat him worse at the mining company than we are ever going to. Oh, dude, so they so finally funny. listen to me. They sending you to the mines. <laughs> like he's cool enough with his boss to get to like joke around with him. And the whole thing about Steven is that, I mean, from the minute Django steps foot into Candyland, Samuel Jackson is just staring ice daggers. He hates him, dude. He hates him him. so much. (laughs) Right, because here's the thing. Steven is actually pretty smart. The funny dynamic about this is that Leo's character, Calvin Candy, is honestly kind of a dumbass. He's a Uh, super fucking idiot, yeah. Right. I mean, think about the fact that Steven is the one who catches on. I mean, one of the other house slaves mentions this, but Steven's the one who has the hunch about... Carrie Washington's character, knowing Django, and then he lays it all out for Calvin. And man, they're they're a great evil duo. Can you get more evil than a, you know, Leo is pretty much a character of a slave owner. Like he's he's like a he's a Mississippi slave owner whose passion is Mandingo fighting. Like just the worst kind of human. The one thing I really love about Calvin Candy as a character is that so Doctor Schultz 
played by Christoph Waltz, is yes. on is one of the like the second protagonist in this movie, and Christoph Waltz is very invested in the idea that. America is a barbaric country because they have slavery and where he's from in Germany, which is like real, you know, civilization, Europe, like very superiority complex driven. They don't have slavery. And then when they get to Candyland, he's confronted by this other white man who's like obsessed with European culture. And that is like vehemently offensive to Christoph Waltz that like there's this guy who's obsessed with his culture, but is like bastardizing it. And so it's a very interesting like confrontation that they bring into play between those two. And at the end, Christoph Waltz kind of fucks everyone over. Like they would have just walked out that bitch. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's yeah, let's back up on that because it highlights really two good things about Calvin Candy, which is that one, they get in that whole argument. Um, and you know, Calvin Candy again, he loves French culture. He he makes everyone call him Monsieur Candy, yeah. but and and he names like the slave that he has torn apart part by the dogs is named d'artagnan and he apparently loves the three musketeers and christophe alexander, has to explain Al- to him dumont, yeah. alexander dumas was actually a black guy and uh you can tell i mean every time that leo's character meets someone you can see his eyes darting up and down like he is sizing them up uh but christoph waltz has got him pegged and he's like bro you're not that smart you're this huge racist you don't even know that your favorite book was written by a black guy. And what's so funny is by the time that he does shoot him, I mean, him and Django have been on this two and a half hour journey and he finally just blows their cover and caps Calvin Candy and looks at Django and goes like, dude, I just couldn't stand him anymore. He's like, I'm sorry, dude. I know this kind of Fs up everything with your wife and like what we've been working towards, but like this dude sucks so bad (laughs) that I have to shoot him right now. Like, dude, I, he, I hate Leo is Leo is so insufferable. Like the scene, one of the most famous scenes in the movie, because they like the bleeding was real. The ad lib where he breaks the skull on the table to do the phrenology thing, and he starts bleeding from his hand. He starts wiping his blood all over Kerry Washington. Kerry Washington, yeah, that was yeah. I heard and about that. and then he starts being like he they they do the whole fucking like reveal where we know your plan. He goes now, if you will join me in the parlor, we will be serving white cake. <laughs> You're just like, what the dude, fuck, dude? <laughs> dude, by the way, so that whole that whole idea that he's obsessed with phrenology is a great like <laughs> addition in there. Because again, he thinks he's like really smart, you know. And I mean, yeah, and, and it's people great. at the time, phrenology was just like a pseudoscience, at, at or at the time, the type of phrenology that he's you know talking about is a total. Oh, pseudoscience. dude, when, when if you, if you showed white people back then anything like vaguely scientific that could justify them keeping humans as slaves while the rest of the world let them go, they would be like, yep, yep, that's science right there. That's for sure science. It's right there in the skulls. Like, it's, right. Oh, great. He's just a great character, and I think we have to talk about the scene with D'Artagnan. It's like the most evil scene in the movie when they catch his oh, runaway where he, where he slave. sticks the dogs on him? Oh, yeah, God, dude. Yeah. Well, not only does he stick the dogs on him, he chastises him in front of everyone and, like, talks to this guy like he's a child while he's on his knees. There's tr- And you know what's coming. It's truly, like, the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Um, and, yeah, man, like, the slave just gets ripped apart by dogs. And you're like, man, this dude is 110% pure, I hate you, evil. That's Calvin yeah. Candy. I'll just say this about Steven. One thing that I I want to talk about, Calvin Candy talks about his old master, his dad's old master, old Ben, and how he never slit his throat. And he talks about, man, like, that's, he, he hints that this is the reason why they're an inferior race, when in reality, he just doesn't recognize that, like, 
if old Ben slits his dad's throat, it's his ass. Yeah. Like, there's no way you can get out of that impossible situation. And it highlights it highlights something really important about, like, slavery and colonialism, which is that, like, the most useful tool for keeping a population under control is to give a couple of them some power because they'll immediately, like, oppress others that are also, you know what I mean? Like, you, you create tiers. And you like, okay, uh, like, you know, the British owned Rwanda. And they were like, the Tutsis are going to be in charge of the Hutus. And suddenly they're too busy killing each other and no one's worried about overthrowing the British. So it's like a microcosmic view of how colonial oppression has worked since the beginning of time. But it's a great movie, dude. And I love those characters. Yeah. Yep. Great movie. Yep. Two evil characters. That's that's my fourth pick. So Round man. us off. What's your, what's your fifth and final pick? What do, you, what do you got? What is my last pick? Dude. A lot of great villains on the board. There is, and uh, I actually have not... I didn't take any notes off this guy. We talked about him in our 90s draft, but if I've got one more pick and he hadn't been picked, you've got to go Hannibal Lecter. I mean, that, that, that just turned my team into an all-star team right there. You got Darth Vader and Hannibal Lecter, like, we clowning all motherfuckers up in here. Yeah, Hannibal... It's funny, because before this draft, I actually had Hannibal Lecter as my number two overall, but I was worried there wasn't going to be... For, from my perspective not enough to talk about with him but uh but yeah he's he's awesome obviously he's iconic he's evil as hell he's he's he, he shares right. something with darth vader which is that the quote-unquote most iconic line of his is never said in the film so every darth vader's like everyone says luke i am your father vader never says that and yes. and for a hannibal lecter everyone says hello clarice and Hannibal never says that in the movie either. Wait a second, Darth Vader never says Luke, I am he, your father. He says no, I, he says no, I am your father. Yeah, because Luke's like wow. he told he told me enough. He, he's like Obi-Wan never told you the truth about your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him and he says no, I am your father. And he's like no. It's great, but yeah, obviously if you're trying to like create a self-contained movie quote that like tells the whole s- series of events, Luke, I am your father is combined by people in their head. Same with Morpheus saying, what if I told you in the matrix? He never says that ever. Like it's just one of those Mandela effect things. So yeah, they kind of shared that. Yeah. Yeah. There's no hello Dude. Clarice in silence of the land. So I'll say this about, what is he saying? Is he, is there any, is there any comparable line to hello Clarice? Cause I was unaware of that. I want to say, uh, he talks about eating the guy's kidney with fava beans. I think a couple times he's just like, a couple of times he'll say something like, yes, Clarice in that voice, you know, but he never welcomes her by name. Okay. Got it. So Sam shouts out John Truby, Hannibal Lecter may be the best. What do they call it? Fake opponent ally of all time. You know what I mean? I, I mean, mean, he is. If a he's villain. not talking about Tootsie, he's talking about Hannibal Lecter because we know that John Truby loves his. Tootsie. Oh, dude, he does fucks with Tootsie really hard. Which, by the way, I'm sure none of us have seen Tootsie. No. It's Dustin Hoffman <laughs> dressing up as a woman. It's the. Yeah, I've read he the plot to it. It sounds fucking dog. ridiculous. Yeah, he always and dude, those about old guys like the old heads, like the uh, Roger Ebert and, and John Truby and that whole clan. They always get onto some bullshit like that or like man tootsie with dustin hoffman is great listen if you haven't seen a streetcar named desire this dude dresses up as a woman to like somehow get close to a woman he's trying to fuck like oh so it's mrs doubtfire dude yeah i mean yeah it's it's on (laughs) which is also terrifying like that that concept for that film is we can go you know what maybe miss doubtfire is one of the greatest villains of all time (laughs) i mean let's be honest like (laughs) what's going on there dude if your wife like divorces your ass 
Isn't that what happened? Yeah. He was divorced, and then yeah. he's, like, just trying to get back with her. So he, like, he disguised himself as the nanny. Dude, can you imagine what a divorce court would do to your ass if they found out you did that? They were like, yeah, you're Bro, not allowed to. you'd be in jail for probably like, close to a decade. You're not allowed to see your kids That's anymore. That's serial killer shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Ever, dude. dude. If, if that wasn't, like, written in this, it's it's very much up there with Home Alone as far as, like, the tone of the movie is such that they make it seem like it's whimsical and funny, but, like, if you really saw right. it happen in reality, it'd be dark as fuck. Like, just, like, you'd terrifying. Like, yeah. Oh, that's so good. They should make a dark version of that. By the way, like, as a total aside, did y'all see the dark adaptation of Santa Claus? Did y'all see that movie? Yeah, like yeah, 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 Where, like, yeah. Santa Claus is a serial killer? Santa Slay with S-L-A-Y? We talked yeah, about that maybe spot. that's it. Dude, it was nuts. okay. It's not a foreign. Well, the one I saw wasn't a foreign film. It had one of the uh, it had one of the WWE dudes playing as Santa. Uh, let me look it up because no, that's not that's not this movie. This movie's like it's it's like Norwegian or something, and it was pretty dark. Um, okay, I'm talking about Santa Slay. Came out in 2005. Uh, it has. I'm 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 literally pulling it up right are you, now. Are you talking it's about Krampus? Oh, Goldberg. It's Goldberg. Goldberg is Santa. He's been locked away for a thousand years. And uh, he like is like basically the devil. It's it's crazy. It's horrible, but it's crazy. So wait, what I'm hearing is that there's multiple movies where Santa's fucking evil. That's what you're hearing. All right. Let's get back back down to Hannibal Lecter. Honestly. Does he, wait, wait. Does to... anyone have picked Santa as their best villain of all time? <laughs> no, no, no. I love Santa. I'm good on that. But dude, Hannibal Lecter, honestly, if people want to go hear our diagnosis of Hannibal Lecter, they should go listen to the 90s draft podcast. But at the end of the day, this motherfucker eats people. What else can be said about him? He rips off a dude's face. He Before Face Off came out, Hannibal Lecter was on that grind. He had cornered the market on face ripping. Yeah. Right. And he's an iconic villain. I think Hannibal Lecter is going to round up my team as a solid last choice. And, uh, I think any of us would agree before this draft started, if Hannibal Lecter was chosen in our top three, we would be happy with it. Dude, so number, like he's Hannibal a number Lecter, one overall. Yeah, he, dude, I mean, Hannibal I mean, I Lecter is a, is, is a steal. It's a total steal. This is the, it's the Micah Parsons of this draft, dare I say. Yep. I just, I just drafted the Micah Parsons, absolutely. Yeah. Anyways, Andy, what so. do you got? So, for my final selection, you know, I think I did this a little bit in the, uh, in the 90s draft. I like characters who are near and dear to my heart they're kind of like homer picks so for my final one i will be choosing one of my favorite all-time movie villains from the uh, highly underrated sci-fi classic the fifth element Johnny starring Sins? bruce willis oh sorry go ahead yeah sorry uh jean baptiste emmanuel zorg played by gary oldman uh oh if you guys haven't seen the fifth element or if our, any of our listeners haven't seen the fifth element this is Gary Oldman at like the peak of his powers. Like before he became everyone's beloved Commissioner Gordon, he was a total psycho in this movie with the craziest made up accent that he invented for this character. He's a nut job and he's trying to sell out the entire known universe to an evil dark star god. It's amazing. And he's Gary Oldman. He fucking intense. crushes it. He's, he spends the entire movie in pursuit of. Uh, this set of like magical stones, which in in this movie he refers to as, I need to get my hands on these stones. You see, these stones. <laughs> it's it's incredible. It's amazing. Gary Oldman's a god. So Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg is my selection. Bro, not gonna lie, this is off topic, but I just recently watched Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and that movie's so fire. I've tried to watch that movie like 
a good ten times. Really? I thought you were a fan of that movie. I it's, thought we it, talked it's, about it. It's, it's not a bad movie. It's just I don't think I've ever gotten through it in one sitting because it's just really long and you have to pay right. really close attention. And so you cannot, like, turn it on and like at the end of the night. Yeah, you, know you, can't, I mean? you can't mess around. It's not a popcorn movie. you got to no, be locked in. No. So I, I've made the mistake so many times of, like, 11 o'clock at night being like, yeah, you know, I'm down for a spy movie. I turn it on and, you know. Like, 15 minutes hey. into that movie, they're, like, talking in code words, and you're like, fuck, 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 I don't know anything that's going on, what's going on? I think a lot of film critics would also give a shout-out to Gary Oldman for the role that he played in Leon the Professional as the oh, bad guy. Dude. And that, I forget what that character's name is, but that dude's evil as shit. What is his name in that movie? Uh, Norman Stanfield, the detective, who's yeah, a total psycho, dude. He's a total right. psycho. You're trying to kill He's, a child, bro. Yeah, he's he's honestly Gary Oldman is a highly underrated actor. Like he he crushes roles when he gets him and Alan Rickman, two goaded Brits that can play a bad guy. Like absolutely, absolutely. Hey, I love I love that pick, Andy. Thank you. Ooh, (laughs) you guys left me with the last pick, which I'm so excited to talk about because you guys are forced beyond your will to talk about a character that I've always wanted to talk to you guys about for like 20 minutes straight, and you have to listen. Oh, God. Who do you think I'm going to talk about? Best villain. Guy that I've always brought up on our group chat as a great villain. Uh, oh, my God. Is this? Please don't tell me this is some shit from Nattero. <laughs> Nattero. <laughs> you know it's not called Nattero, you, you uncultured a-hole. Is it? Nattero. What's his name? What's his name? I, oh, I, dude, are you really going to pick this dude? You're going to pick the anime Yes, guy? he is awesome. He is perfect. He's a perfect villain. I thought you were going to do Homeboy from Death. I really thought you were going to do Homeboy from, Death, really gonna do from Death Note. Light Yagami? Yeah, that would be a great... Oh, God, he'd be awesome, but no. Hit me with the facts about this dude, because I, I don't know. Okay, first of all, his name is Pain, which is... That alone goes under the bucket of character design. It's that his name is literally called Pain, because that's literally what he does to people, is he instills Pain. So... Pain has he he hits every notch. He has awesome character design. He has an incredibly complex ideology that is in direct conflict with any of the characters in our story. He's obviously incredibly competent and scary as hell, right? So this dude is a child of war. His parents were killed in front of him during a war that he obviously like invaded his country. He wandered along as a child as a orphan. His whole reason of existence is because he is a child of war and the reason he's called pain is that his thought is the only way to achieve world peace is to ensure that other like countries and societies have gone through war and the only way that people can truly be at peace is that they've all experienced war and heartbreak and hardship so his entire mantra is i'm going to cause like great loss or hardship or war at every country in the world until everybody truly understands what it means, what, how bad war is. And that will cause a generational understanding, kind of like how World War One and World War Two did, a generational understanding of how bad war really is. Like weak men make hard times, hard times make strong well, men. Ca- kind of like how everybody, kind of like how everybody accuses Great Britain of like being, uh, after World War One, how they were like weary of war. Because they understood the cost, or like France, how France capitulated because they understood how bad World War One is. That's kind of what Pain wants to instill: is like 
if everybody understands how bad war is, then people will stop doing what they did to my home country. Like if everyone takes a gunshot wound, no one will shoot each other anymore? Yeah, that that's kind of the philosophy. He, he is truly like, he has experienced terrorism, so he wants to commit terrorism to others, so to speak. Um, his powers are obviously badass. He has basically zombified six people that are incredibly powerful and their the six own paths right, to pain powers the six paths to pain uh dude one of them has this thing called the gates to hell where basically he can resurrect anybody that is super powerful and have them fight on his side that's super badass he has this thing called the uh animal path which he can like resurrect these huge massive chimeras and shit and fight fight for him so he basically got like every power you could ever want we talked about how dracula's got these iconic powers he's got iconic powers to the T. He's like super obviously intimidating because of that. His ability to like control gravity and to pull people towards him and to push people back is like, if you watch the series, it makes him kind of unstoppable because anytime somebody wants to launch an attack on him, depending on what would be more successful, he either repels them several miles and kills them or he like pulls them straight forward to them and like stabs them in the face. That's pretty badass. But just Google his, uh, and for people listening, like Google this guy's, uh, design we talked about darth vader Payne has these like metal rods sticking out of his face and his neck and shit and then he's got these eyes that are it's the it's kind of the power that he operates he's got these eyes that are like in circles and it makes him he has like no personality he's truly like an embodiment of like a corpse he just is he's all business he's all this one mission and he's when he talks in the series he's got this like incredibly dark and deep voice kind of like uh Oh, who plays Darth Vader in that in uh, Star Wars? Uh, uh, James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. I won't put sounds more like, like Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Kind of what you're describing. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like that. But instead of just like chaos for chaos's sake, he's got an end goal to it. In fact, there's like a in the anime community, there's a famous dialogue that he has between himself and the main character of the series, just like explaining why he's doing what he's doing, and it goes under that meme of of. Uh, when you hear the main villain talking and he's, it starts to make sense and you're just like sipping the tea and you're like, oh, I don't know that that actually resonates. It, it kind of makes you feel like you understand where the villain is coming from in a really fucked up manner. So again, iconic from the anime community. His powers are obviously like really hard to top, really cool design, awesome ideology. Look him up. I haven't gotten to him yet in my Naruto viewing. So I look forward to encountering him. If iconography wasn't towards the top of our list and we were just going over like what are the best written and presented villains i could honestly draft him number one like he is that cool of a well of like a well-written character with a really cool background and a really cool character design and he's intimidating as fuck like he's if you're writing a fictional story especially a high fantasy story from scratch he is like everything you'd want in a villain so i I knew that you guys weren't gonna pick him and i kind of knew that he was gonna be my number five overall pick for that reason. But you felt like you could have been your number one. I get that. He's my Bob Hayes. I knew you guys were going to pick him. Oh. But I, I knew he was going to be a, a Hall of Famer. So, yeah. All right, let's awesome. do this. Let's, uh, Sam, We've I think our teams are complete. Maybe you can give our listeners a review of how these teams ended up. Yeah, so we've got Team Webb. We have Darth Vader, Norman Bates, Patrick Bateman, Django Unchained, uh, multiple characters, uh, which Webb... I didn't write down the character's name. Somehow I got away with. Calvin Candy and Steven. 
Steven, which go. is a great name for yeah for whatever reason. I feel Steven. like that's hilarious. Yeah. I, I I agree. One one name, and then Hannibal Lecter is your as your last pick. Which again, strong I I've said this squad, before, but dude. strong squad. Yeah. Thank you, Andy. I and God, I I kind of wrote some of these names. Like, is it uh, Anton Shakur? Sugar is that yeah. is that the no country? It, sounds, it, it almost yeah. sounds like sugar, but it's sugar. Right. Tupac Shakur. I heard, and the main like means nothing. Thing? I heard that the author Cormac McCarthy just kind of like liked the, that name. Yeah. You know, it, it yeah. didn't have a tie-in, but that's a great first pick. Yeah. And then Alonzo Harris, King Kong ain't got nothing on me. Training day. Uh, John Doe, Hans Gruber, and then what was Gary Oldman's name in Fifth Element? Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. Yeah, I like, Which, I like let how me, it's like let me just pretty French and then Zorg. I know we've talked before about like you look, you can look at someone's IMDb and like the roles they've played. Gary Oldman until he got to like later stage of his career, Tinker Taylor and Commissioner Golden Gordon. This dude was like the goat villain player. Okay, we got he's Lee Harvey really? Oswald in JFK. All right. Wow. That's him. Yeah. Wow. Then he's Definitely villain. He's Dracula in Bram Stoker's Dracula. All right. He's Drexel. I, I like Dracula. He's I like Dre- Dracula. Clearly. He's Drexel Spivey in True Romance. Then he's the Devil in the Guns N' Roses music video for Since I Don't Have You. All right. Then he we got he's Zorg in the Fifth Element. Then a classic that people forget. He's Ivan Korshnikov in Air Force One, bro. He's the leader of the Russian oh, terrorist dog. Dude, so I love that. he was just passing out bangers, dude. In the nineties, this guy was just passing out bangers left and right. And then he played. Homeboy in fucking Leon the Professional, so he was killing it on the villain. But maybe, maybe his most iconic role was the midget, one of the mini midgets in Tiptoes. (laughs) Yeah, dude, he did do that. He did do that. Can we please do a pod on Tiptoes? I'll tell you what. We what we need to do is a pod on that other Matthew McConaughey movie where it turns out the whole movie is taking place like inside of a video game that the son is designed or whatever. Have you seen this movie? Oh, I have not seen that. That Hold on, I gotta find this movie real quick. Matthew. To this day, I've not watched Tiptoes, but we need to watch that and do it. The trailer is yeah, amazing. I've heard For it's anyone that hasn't crazy. seen it, it's literally about Matthew McConaughey marrying into a family of midgets, and Gary Oldman is one of the midgets. I'm fairly certain they filmed all of his scene with him just like standing on his knees with shoes underneath his knees. It's the most ridiculous looking thing you've ever seen. Okay the the uh, movie the movie is Tiptoes. called the movie is called Serenity. It was written and directed by Stephen Knight and Matthew McConaughey, Diane Lane, and Anne Hathaway are in it, and it is one of the wow. worst movies I've ever seen. Anne Hathaway, I can't believe. I mean, I mean, and Diane Lane, I can't believe that they would. Yeah, all three of them, and he did this movie in 2019. He did Interstellar, Free State of Jones, Gold, White Boy Rick, then this movie, and then The Beach Bum, which was fire, and then The Gentleman. So he was just, like, taking a break from doing all bangers to do this horrible movie. My team goes, oh, God. I mean, everybody loves their team, right? I mean, Andy, there's not many people, like, on either of your teams, that you guys have multiple people that I personally didn't have in my top selection. So I feel like you guys both love your teams. I love my team. I have The Joker, Count Dracula, Cruella DeVille, Jaws, and Payne. Which I know you guys aren't sold on pain. But eventually, someday you guys will be sold on pain. He's, he he's sounds tight, dude. Awesome. He sounds awesome. I'll take your word for it, dude. Okay, let's go to, like, honorable mentions. I've got, dude, I've got a few people that we didn't pick that I uh, I could have gotten to. I'll just go down to, like, one or two of mine, and then I'll let you guys take it off. I've got, I had highlighted for a while the Terminator. Iconic, yeah. cool character design, 
insurpassable, zero ideology, just pure evil. It'd be so good in the other categories, it's hard to pass them up. The other one that I had, I mean, obviously we didn't say Voldemort, which I feel like we all kind of agree. Um, he's got a lot of those figures, but he just has zero ideology. He's kind of underwritten, so I I feel comfortable leaving Voldemort off. I feel like a character that kind of fits all of the Voldemort uh, criteria, but has a cool ideology, and that's why I have him one spot above Voldemort was Thanos, believe it or not. Like, I, he wasn't really in danger of being selected, but I do think, as much as we kind of, like, scoff at the Marvel Cinematic Universe for being, like, underwritten, I feel like Thanos is a pretty awesome villain. Thanos um, is cool. In terms of everything we listed. He's, like, my top two Marvel villains as far as, like, okay, a little more like ambiguity. Killmonger, right? Yeah, yeah. Killmonger? Sure. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Killmonger was the other one that's, like, awesome killmonger yeah. awesome super badass super element. badass what do you have i think the next one that was on my list uh that i really did think about taking was agent smith from the matrix yes um, yes pretty agent fucking smith. iconic like definitely terrifying uh definitely has like a mission you know like he represent he's the human embodiment of the system that is the matrix or like uh, a virus he's a virus yeah, basically. yeah and he has he has an iconic line you know mr anderson super yeah. awesome um, so I definitely thought about him. Uh, I too loved the Terminator. I'm trying to think if there was anybody else that we, oh, and then, uh, I, I mentioned him at the very beginning, but I loved Colonel Landa in Inglorious Bastards. Uh, um, he was on my list. He's in my top 12. Super awesome. Super yeah, he's my 10th awesome. overall. Just like such a fucking horrible piece of shit, but also like so fascinating. And then I'll say this, you mentioned the Terminator. I think the T-1000 deserves to be on there as well. Because yeah. while, while I, I, Arnold yeah, is I thought like, about putting him in instead of the Terminator. Yeah, because Arnold is a really great antagonist in the first movie. I really honestly think Terminator 2 is the better movie, and I think the antagonist is even more terrifying, so I really like it. An underrated one? Okay, I got a couple weird ones for you. How about uh, Amy, uh, Amy Dunn from Gone Girl? I almost put her on my top 20, dude. She's awesome. And Gone Girl is one of my... Fa- if you were to average out novel and movie, Gone Girl... Honestly, it's like in my top 15. I love both of them. They're awesome. And then the last one I'll mention in honorable mention is, uh, this is like just from a, a whole franchise, but the Xenomorph from Aliens, just like all the various iterations of that alien we've seen. It's just like a fucking sweet, iconic villain, but especially an alien and an aliens when we got, you know, Ridley out there doing her work, like fucking awesome movies and scary as fuck. Yeah. Those aliens are terrifying. I used to have horrible nightmares as a kid about them. So... And again, I don't know if they fit the bill as far as a villain. It's kind of in that Jaws category where it's like iconic yeah. opposing force, but they're they're not evil and they're not. We don't know, you know, they don't really have ideology. They're just like wild animals. They're yeah, they're like a half step above the predator. Yeah, and then one last one that I just thought of is Alex from A Clockwork Orange because he is yeah. a real fucked up yep. dude and terrifying. And yeah, I'm a although big his outcome that's, is that's such that you kind of Andy. almost feel bad for him, if you go back and you watch the beginning of the movie, after you watch the end of the movie, you're like, no, never mind. Like, I don't feel bad for this motherfucker at all. He's horrible. So Okay, so you brought up Sauron. Sauron is obviously like the embodiment of evil. He's like an evil entity. How about Ganondorf? I personally like dog. I didn't even think about that. Ganondorf is how about an Gan- awesome How about villain. Ganondorf's though? Video games got villains, dude. Like, God, I didn't even think about Bowser. Okay, here, how about this? How about this? Oh, dude, Liquid Snake like, from Metal Gear Solid. Okay, I'm done, dude. I'm oh, this could this could spiral into five hours because like dog Gary Oak. 
Yeah, Gary Oak, dude. How about that? How about some Gary Oak shit? I'm gonna. I, I've got a few uh, honorable mentions that we didn't list. I've got like two. Whoa! Or three. I was not done with my list of honorable mentions. May I please? Daniel Planview, There Will Be Blood. Great choice. Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Tommy DeVito, Joe Pesci, and Goodfellas. Obviously, nice. Kaiser Sose. Scar from The Lion King. Great one. Um, I, we've got to miss it. Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That yeah. lady is just like the Banger. ultimate Karen. Obviously, also Robert De Niro from Cape Fear. Cape I Fear, what his dude. character's name is. But yeah. like, He's those guys would be bro. my honorable mentions, man. Those, there's um, one that there's one that Webb didn't mention that I'm shocked that he hasn't mentioned because he's made me watch this movie more than once at his apartment. So I'm talking a Stephen King villain. Webb, what is it? Well, I mentioned I mentioned Nicholson from The Shining. I'm trying to think who would who would it be? No, there's one more. There's one more female. A St- a Steve. Oh, a female Stephen King. Annie Wilkes from Misery, dog. Oh, dude, yeah. yes. That's a yeah. great choice. Yeah. Dude, she's yes, crazy. Is, she's crazy. Yes. And this is a no more wire honestly. hangers. We need to go over Misery on one of these episodes. That's a great movie. Dude, Annie Wilkes was my number 14 overall villain of all time. That's how much I think she's awesome. Uh, uh, another one I've got, I, I, oh, God, Lord of the Rings. Uh, help me out. The the main, Sauron. Sauron? Dude, I, I think Golem is a, if you want to consider him an antagonist villain, I think Golem is an awesome villain. Uh, did the struggle that he has throughout the entire uh, books, as well as the, there's, the film. Lord of the Rings has fire awesome. villains. You got you got Saruman, you got Sauron, you got the Balrog, you got Golem, you got oh you got tons of like, Grimma Wormtongue. You got tons of very fun villains to like pal around with in the lands of Middle Earth. Here's another one that I, that I personally think is really cool in terms of just like being pure villainy, like from like animalistic villainy, is Shere Khan from Jungle Book. Great one. Ooh, I like that too, man. Just I think like as far as Disney literally an animal, go, literally like yeah, animalistic, Scar. like uh, yeah, right up there with Scar. Um, I mean, dude, honestly, you could have as far as like iconography, you could have said like the wolf and Hansel and Gretel and all that shit. Like, there's there's a lot you could say, but Here's two. I'm going to say them in descending order. My 18th overall pick as far as like the best villains of all time. The stepmother from Cinderella and okay. Captain Hook. Good ones. Mm. I like Dude, Captain Cap- Hook. You, you know what? Captain you know Hook. What? Hot take. Captain Hook is the hero of the story. Oh, let's hear this. Peter Pan kidnaps children, and when they turn 14, he murders them. The pirates in the story are... All the children that have escaped from being Peter Pan's weird in Peter Pan's weird pedophile cult, <laughs> and they are constantly trying to stop Peter. You notice they never try to hurt the kids; they always just try to get Peter because he sexually abused all of them when he <laughs> kidnapped them from their beds. As children. <laughs> so, is he like the Ezra Miller? Of this yeah. Story? So yes, Captain Hook is the hero. Peter Pan is the Jeff Epstein of. Never bro, we've got, we have got island. to write this script. I mean, I, I know there's. Bro, like if you Google, if you Google that, movies. that is like ten thousand. That has been like drilled into the ground as being like a, a theory. Really? Oh yeah, it's oh, huge. That's right. But tune in for my uh, next week's episode when I go through how Snowpiercer and Willy Wonka are secret sequels to each other. <laughs> we didn't even get to the horror guys online. like Freddy Krueger. Oh, I was going to say Myers like there's Halloween, yeah like, we didn't even yeah there's a ton of those. And we, like we we barely touched on video games, but if you open up to like that level of media, like video games have 
hundreds of iconic villains in them that are amazing people love them like talking about the video games like we like you said we really didn't touch on that too much like if i had said my so like my first overall pick if i had said donkey kong throwing the barrels at mario i could have made i'm not saying that i would have but i i could have made an argument as to like sure. how that is like super iconic and you guys have been like yeah whatever like sure so yeah i i do agree with you like we kind of left we kind of left video games on the cutting room floor i think what do you guys think is the most iconic video game villain i i personally think it's like probably bowser but i'm curious. i personally i i tend to like skew more towards like video games that have been like lauded as like art for their narrative rather than just like hey like these are video games are really popular because like yeah obviously like the covenant in halo are iconic villains because there's 10 billion copies of halo sold but um i think like sniper wolf and revolver ocelot from metal gear solid series i think you could make a case for some of the dudes from grand theft auto and then especially once you get into stuff like The Last of Us and like some of those like or the Resident Evil games, like some of those like story driven games that are like masterpieces that people like play a thousand times. Like I think that's where you'll find the best villains, but certainly the most iconic villains in video games are like, yeah, your Bowser's, your, yeah, et cetera, Wario. Yeah, I feel really, really good about my team. The only question I have is what's what's the next draft we're going to do? We've done Ooh, 90s. We- we've done villains. I say we do. I say we do the aughts, dude. Early two th- like two thousand to like two thousand eight, like between the turn of the millennium and our year, like me, uh, like when Sam graduated those, from from those are high school years. with oh nine. Yeah, that's like the prime of our lives, dude. Like, I have a few ideas. How about this best plot twist? I like that. Ooh, one. I yeah. love that. That's gonna require a little bit more research, but best plot twist sounds pretty fun from a writing perspective. Blanket ban right. on Shyamalan vehicles yeah baby i want the village give me that number one overall. <laughs> whoever selects no i am your father is gonna get the smoke for me because that shit is not set up at all so i still want to yeah. go at you sam with king richard because i think that movie's pretty good i think it's a great script and I know i'm gonna watch it, it. I, I know i'm gonna I, I'm a, I haven't watched it yet i'm gonna watch that shit and i'm gonna i'm gonna come down on which side i'm gonna and he's gonna side with me and then we're gonna get jump in on sam unless he changes his mind I think I mean, really you know, Sam it's, is on it's tape. Sam where... is on tape on this podcast being like, dude, out of the original nine Star Wars movies, there are like there's like one good one. And I had to just like <laughs> walk his ass all the way back off that ledge that he decided to jump out on. And finally, at the end of the podcast, he's like, <laughs> I said, there's two. No, this is I said, there's two truly great ones. And I I stand by that. And I, I asked you, which of the original like... which of the original series are bad? And he was like, Empire's good. And then the other two, like, uh, depends on that's your t- true. On and your I, t- I would say, I would bro, say, those are, those uh, are all is, like a nine. Those yeah, are like all a nine on IMDb, dude. Like everyone in yeah, the world new, loves all three of those good. movies. Uh, Return of the Jedi has major holes, um, and so yeah. Well, bro, anyways, the Dark Knight has major he, holes. That doesn't mean it's a bad movie. If, if King Richard, <laughs> here's the thing: is like if you're if you're kind of like scrolling through your phone and you're kind of like, oh yeah, yeah. I like how Will Smith is talking in a lisp in this film. This is good stuff. Uh, King that Richard's is not probably all that reality. But if you're like, if you're if you're actually trying to figure out like if these girls are truly characterized or if it's a compelling story or anything like that, then uh, maybe maybe you'll. Bro, the girls King are not the main characters. They're supporting. The movie's about King Richard. The movie's about him. We're gonna have to get into this on a pod because I actually 
watch that movie and i thought it was yeah badass. what do they tell us what do, what do they tell us about richard he just tells people at, at tournaments that his daughters are good and then they end up winning that's the that's no, two dude, hours he's, got a com- he's got a complete character arc to prove that he's not just like a worthless yeah he just person. he just moves up the ladder of telling people that his daughters are good and then, and then they win that's the that's the character arc it's all about king richard just like telling people that his daughters are great and they're obviously great and they win every tournament they play in What's the adversity in that? Like the, just, the they're, adversity they're, doesn't they're incredible. Rely. No, dude. There, there's literally <laughs> the only adversity is Sam is like the only give, adversity, me, give me one way that poor black people have ever has found adversity, dude. Show me, demonstrate for me adversity that b- poor black people see in the world. The thing is, is like I would love if King Richard showed me that there was adversity from there, like being poor. It doesn't. That's the problem with the script. Pretty dog. sure that's in the trailer. Is it, is it literally just shows? Me, <laughs> it literally just shows me. No, no, no. It literally the only the only adversity is that it shows me that he gets the shit beat out of him by some gangsters and in Compton, and that's it. That's the only adversity I see throughout the entire film. It doesn't. It does not do a good job of showing me the adversity, and that's the problem with the script. If your take is that they had adversity because of their socioeconomic background, that's fine. Show me that. He didn't. And then, yeah, they and then, did. And dude. then uh, he, Will they Smith have, talked really the entire time. time, and he got an Oscar. And then he beat Bro, the shit out of someone. He okay. First of all, they allude. I'm pretty sure to an incident where like this dude got a railroad spike shoved through his leg, and also half the movie is them trying to get people to like trying to get a coach, even though they don't have the money. Like the whole thing is about their economic struggle. I think the movie does a good job of showing that, but we can save this battle for another day. King Richard. Good movie. I'm gonna watch it so I can be prepped for this. I this fight. Watch it it. Me, I, I'm ready now. This sounds this sounds spicy. Well, like here's it. the thing: is I think Sam's gonna dig in, dude. Like after Andy watches it, he's gonna side with me, and then Sam is gonna come in <laughs> fucking hot, dude, on this pod. <laughs> I already know this whole segment's getting edited Sam- out. And that's okay, but we really should talk about King Richard because I think it's gonna be a wild debate. Oh, we'll say we'll say. I, I guess I, I guess my only question is like. <laughs> Here it goes. <laughs> <laughs> he was sitting there all quiet. Dude. Yeah. I then he brings up like the then he brings out like the angry wife setup that I just have one question. I just have one question. Okay, dude. Alright, dear, what's your one question as I sit here on the couch playing video games and you're upset with me? What is your <laughs> one question? <laughs> Webb is a guest and Andy as a co host, are you guys okay with coming onto this podcast and for two hours being completely subjected to looking like a buffoon as I own your ass on this topic. <laughs> Are you okay with that? Yeah. Every time you guys make a good point, I'm going to edit it out. Like those teenage girls who like crop out certain words to make like a, like a certain message, like a, a ransom. Like a, like a ransom note. I'm gonna... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be like, King Richard was a bad movie. If you look at it, nope. I think I should write Sam. The title of the pod when it drops is going to be like one of those Ben Shapiro videos where it's like Sam Clark owns two fucking <laughs> all yeah. caps. idiots, owns. dude. Cap, all caps, real writer destroys two uncultured plebs using facts and logic. <laughs> it's just a screen grab of Sam being like, and me and Web, and me and Webby and like, like so pissed, <laughs> just like shakingly angry while Sam face palms at our ignorance. <sighs> Oh god! I love it, dude. We gotta That's do what, it. We gotta do it. Whatever it takes to get clout, dude. In my Absolutely. defense, I guess I have to say something in my defense. I did not go into King Richard like ready to be mad. 
I did not be like, okay, let me see how fucking awful this movie is going to be. I was an hour and 30 minutes into it being like, I don't understand where the drama is. We definitely need to break down King Richard at some point because I know Sam's got a hard opinion on it. I watched it, enjoyed it. I think that would be really fun to unpack. On I'm, I'm excited to figure out which one of you I agree with more. I haven't seen, I literally have not watched it. I usually, he's basically the deciding vote. I usually detest movies about like uh, coach dad because I, I think that that's a very toxic thing in our society is like I'm going to turn my kid into a champion. I think that that can be really damaging. So I don't like the idea of a movie that rewards that, but I'm open to what it can be. So we'll see. I, I guess I should address this. The next time that we do a pod together, that y'all, y'all do a pod together, Andy's going to be a dad. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. That's He's going to have crazy perspective. Yeah. I'm going to come on here with a polo shirt tucked into some cargoes <laughs> with a cell phone shoes. holster on. Hell yeah. yes. I, I can't wait to post like a Facebook status asking if anyone in the neighborhood has a good recommendation for a tree guy or something, you know, like some real bad <laughs> shit, you know? Hell yes. Any, any, any closing words before like to the world that you want to put out there? Any advice? I, I had a good run, you know, like. I had a lot of fun for 32 years, dude. I had Honestly, a lot of dude, fun. He's going to be so busy. We're probably going to have to fill in and you're going to find someone to fill in Andy, dude. Tweet. The way, the way I'm looking at it is like, this is, I really enjoy doing this with Sam and with you guys. And I feel like this is like a good one hour a week that I can like get away scheduled and sure. just be like, Hey babe, watch the kid. Like I, I gotta go do this pod. And in you know 30 days we'll be in the new house i'll have my brand new office very nice recording studio type vibe it's gonna be awesome dude so i'm stoked i can't wait till where we can't hear your dog in the background anymore yeah then i can just put him outside it'll be so tight that's gonna be so great that's gonna be great for my editing because every other episode every time you make like a stellar point i just hear like in the background i have to edit it all out so yeah i live with See, it, you don't dude. need to edit out the I dog dude the dog is now part of the pod the fans want it you gotta keep the dog in. <laughs> the dog's a character like, the dog dude. goes away people are, yeah they're gonna be like this isn't the same boys it's been fun i think we all had great lists and yeah this was awesome Andy, super fun episode good luck being a dad dude can't can't Thanks, wait to bro, meet John. little aj if you haven't subscribed liked followed giving us a rating please do so we greatly appreciate it and also tell two friends because uh that's how we get the word of the word of mouth out as always this is novel discourse i'm sam i'm andy i'm webb see you next time peace peace